Well, if you have your Bibles with you, I encourage you to open them with me to the book of 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible with you, the uh, passage for this morning is printed in the insert of your bulletins. This morning, I want to uh, turn to what I know is for many of you uh, a familiar passage. And for some of you, those of you with fantastic memories, or maybe those of you who write little notes in your Bible, this is one passage that we have actually looked at pretty recently. My kids always get on me because they are quoting uh, movie lines from movies that we've seen together, and it's something they love to do at the dinner table. And 75, no, 90% of the time, I have no idea what the movie quote is. I have no recollection of movies. Weeks ago, I mapped out, I sat down and I mapped out where I kind of wanted to go as a church in the preaching of God's Word over the next several months. And I mapped out some themes and some passages that I thought would be good to bring out those themes. And I did that weeks ago, and only yesterday... As I was sitting in my office, did it suddenly dawn on me? Did I suddenly realize that we have looked at this passage recently? And so my only hope is that uh, since I didn't remember, that you won't remember. Because it obviously wasn't a memorable sermon for me. And hopefully it wasn't a memorable sermon for you either. But all joking aside, it's, it's different. We looked at this passage in a very different vein, in a different series than we're going to look at it. This morning, but I wanted to kind of charge on course because I really think this passage says what I want it to say. This is a, this is a redemptive truth that we as the people of God need to hear over and over and over again. You know, for the last couple of months, um, those of you who have been around notice that we've been jumping around a bit, um, through the series that I've been doing after a Many months of, of preaching through books, of teaching through books, we've been kind of in these series. We've first looked in the ad, in, during Advent at Who is Jesus? And now we're in this series entitled The Life of a Pilgrim. And just for the record, this is a lengthy introduction, I know. Um, just for the record, this is not necessarily my preferred method of preaching. We are going to get back to... Uh, preaching through books, systematically walking through books of the Bible. That is what I prefer to do, and perhaps me choosing a passage that we've looked at before is is an indication of some of the pitfalls of preaching topically in this sort of way. But the reason I wanted to do this as we started the new year is because I wanted to start the new year for us as a people of God really thinking inwardly really thinking about our lives and not just our lives as we project them here on Sunday mornings because you guys smell good, you look good, you're acting nice. And yet when you walk out of these doors, you walk into tensions, you walk into temptations that aren't, that don't exist in this gym, that don't exist among these people. And that's where the rubber meets the road, isn't it? When we're in those places of solitude, when no one else is around, when we're in those places, those workplaces with those tense 
relationships when we're in our homes. I know that we have good theology in this church. It's one of the things that we pride ourselves on. But do we have good functional theology? I'm sorry if I sound like a broken record. I know I've said that before. But are we allowing the rich, robust theology of who God is and what God has called us to be to trickle down, to go deep down to the roots of those, here it comes, those 10,000 mundane moments of our lives? When we have the decision to live for God, to be obedient to God, or to live for ourselves. To make ourselves number one. Is it our anger? Is it our anxiety? Is it our discontentment? Is it our greed? Is it our lust? Is it you fill in the blank? We're all different. But are those things getting the best of us? And that's, that's the challenge That's the battle that we face all of our lives, is are we allowing God's truth to transform us? And so the the life of a pilgrim, this series is all about that, those small incremental changes, transformations by the power of God's Spirit and by His grace. And we're about to enter, maybe next week, I need to make sure that the passage next week we haven't looked at already. But maybe next week we're going to start with some very specific things. Some very specific things in our lives. Some very specific sins. And I'm going to poke and I'm going to prod around your life. God's Word is going to do that. But I'm going to help it. But before we do that, before I did too much poking and prodding, I really wanted to, and that's why I did what I did last week, that's why I'm doing what I'm doing this week, I wanted to undergird that coming surgery with some prep work. And that's why we're spending at least two weeks of gospel perspective that I hope will empower gospel-driven holiness. That's why we were where we were last week. That's why we are where we are this week. Holiness, as some of us tend to think, is not contrary to the Gospel. Living in accordance with God's law is not antithetical to grace. And just to underscore that point, I want to spend a couple weeks just talking about what you've been given, about who you are before we really go to those specifics. Holiness, remember, is the goal of our lives. We are justified in order to be sanctified, in order to be made holy. Paul told the church in Ephesus that they were chosen in Him that they may be what? Holy and blameless. So last week, as we looked at Psalm 137, those of you who are here, I just wanted to remind us that we're pilgrims, that this is not our home, that the focus of our journey is elsewhere, and the, the certainty of our future is secure. Well, this morning I want to talk, as you can see in the title, about the promise and the power that are ours. And so let's briefly, for a few minutes, look at this passage once again. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 reading down through verse 1 of chapter 7. 
Paul says to the church, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you and I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. This is the Word of the Lord. Having looked at this passage together before, we're not going to unpack it in detail this morning, but I want us to think, building upon the truth of last week, really on just one truth for us to meditate on, for us to set our minds on this morning, having to do with this life of a pilgrim, this pilgrim journey. And it's this. The promise of God's presence gives us power to be pilgrims. I didn't try to make all those peas. It just kind of flowed. The promise of God's presence gives us power to be pilgrims. In other words, you are not alone. And because of that fact, you are not powerless, Christian, to obey. That's really all I want to set our hearts on this morning for the next few minutes. You know, the reality of presence, the the presence of others is a powerful thing in our lives. It can be a motivator, it can be a comfort, it can be a a security. I love being a father. I love the fact that my children, most of the time, want to be with me. And they want to be with me for a variety of reasons, depending upon their age. It could be security, it could be affirmation. Maybe it's simply delight and companionship. But there is power in presence. The pastor who married Anna and I, it was Anna's childhood pastor, Jack Jagadich. Anna and I have mentioned more than, uh, or have talked more than once amongst ourselves about he, how he was a pastor who could be characterized by a pastor of presence. And in many ways, I'm, I'm seeking to emulate what he was. He's now with the Lord. But he was a man who was just there. He was there, and he reminded you of the fact that he was there. He was there to encourage. He was there to comfort. He was there to give counsel, to impart wisdom, sometimes just to listen. You see, we are not wired as as islands, even the most introverted of us. We're wired for relationship. We're made in the image of God who, from eternity past, has lived in community. 
The triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have lived in community, in relationship, and you are wired in that same way. And that image reflects, that image reflection shows itself and reflects today as we set our hearts on what we have been given in Christ Jesus. And, and folks, it's truth not just for salvation as we look to the future, as we look to the end of our lives. It's truth for this afternoon as you fight with a selfish heart, as you boil with anger over some circumstance that happens this evening. You remember the context of 2 Corinthians. Many of you, Paul writes here to the church The church of Jesus Christ, those who have turned from their sins, those who have confessed the name of Jesus. And he writes to instruct them, he writes to remind them of a promise that is theirs. They have been given. They possess the presence of the living God. Accomplished at the resurrection, inaugurated at the outpouring of Pentecost, given through faith in Jesus, the Spirit of the living God is yours and is mine and is ours. God's presence is uniquely ours as we confess His name. It's corporately ours as we gather in His name this morning. Now why is that such a big deal? God had dwelt with His people for for generations. After all, Paul quotes the Old Testament here. But the statement of verse 16 is is very different. We are the temple of the living God. This wasn't a distant, standoff presence. This this is an intimate presence. And this this was revolutionary. Especially these new believers at Corinth. People who lived in a rich culture of diversity. The city that they lived in was, was ethnically diverse. It was religiously diverse. There were pagan temples and rituals throughout their city and throughout their culture, and it's into this environment that these people, these new believers, are seeking to figure out what does it mean to be a follower of Christ. They've experienced a rebirth. They're new creatures in Him. But what does that mean? What does that look like? It's not happening overnight. They still had questions. They still had temptations. And so Paul writes a series of letters. We have two of them. He wrote more than two. But he wrote letters to this church to counsel them and to remind them of who God is and what God had given them. And here in chapter 6, he hones in on something that would have really been vivid in their minds, and that is the issue of temples. Temples were throughout the city of Corinth. He brings up the issue of temples to not only state a contrast, but to give a promise. You are the temple of the living God. Perhaps it's thought that there are those in the church who are seeking to take so much of the cultural air that they breathed and so much of the practices and the rituals that they saw around them and and bring them into the church in some kind of synchristic way. And, And Paul says, no, you are the temple of the living God. In contrast to the lifeless, pagan temples, to the false gods in your city, You possess the presence 
of God. And he draws on the Old Testament scriptures in verses 16 to 18. I will make their, my dwelling among them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. See, through the blood of the new covenant, through Jesus' death and resurrection, this presence is closer than it has ever been before. The presence of God is in us. Now, the reason that matters so importantly is because I think recognizing this and remembering this and really digesting this is where holiness must begin. God's presence in us changes everything. It's a promise that brings motivation. It's a promise that brings the power to obey, to live differently, to live as pilgrims. You know, Paul's main thrust in 2 Corinthians 6 is that God's presence in us, in us as a people, reveals incompatibility. I mean, that's, that's what he, essentially he's doing. That's really the main thrust of the passage. So the church at Corinth struggles with their new identity. They're tolerating things in the church that they shouldn't be tolerating. Sexual immorality and other things. They're confused about how to handle lawsuits between them. We, like they, we struggle, whether we ask those kinds of questions or not, we struggle too with our identity in Christ and what does it look like in the world. I heard the illustration this week that we're called to be doctors who have contact with disease, but not be contaminated by that disease. But how do we do that? How do we do that as a church? Because too easily we allow ourselves to be contaminated through our contact. Paul uses this familiar phrase, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. It's an agricultural term where the yoke was put on the the backs of animals plowing a field. Old Testament law prohibited the same yoke being used for an ox and a donkey together, not just was it against God's law, but it wasn't profitable because an ox and a donkey had different dispositions. They had different ways of going back their work. It's impossible to be fruitful in their labor. So Paul brings this picture to our minds, to the minds of those in Corinth, to say there's a difference between you and the unbeliever. There's a difference between Christ and a follower of the world. There are two priorities. There are two agendas. There are two allegiances. And then he goes through these rhetorical questions where he asks in verses 14 and 6, what partnership does so-and-so have? And we're not going to go into those in detail. But it just illustrates the fact there there is an incompatibility in our lives at times that we don't See, there is an intermixing that we struggle with that we don't see, that we need God's grace, that we need His Spirit to show us these clear lines. We're called in the New Covenant as those in the Old Covenant were called to be distinct, to be pure, 
as Paul said, to become all things to all men that we might save some. The world needs to see compelling Christianity. But what does that look like? It's Christianity more than just middle class American values. It's Christianity, it's a life that stands out amidst a a backdrop of darkness. It's a life that isn't merely defined by what it avoids. A life that doesn't just create for itself its own subculture. But a life that positively brings to relationships something new. This is the kind of thing that I want to explore over the next several weeks as we look at some of these things in our speech, in our anger, in our anxiety, in our discontentment, in our worldliness. That so many ways, so many of the things that we do, so many of the ways that we act are incompatible with the world around us. We are light and the world is darkness. We are the temple of the living God. We can't intermix with sin. Well, there's another aspect of the promise, not just incompatibility. But I think as we think on this passage, as we think on the presence and the promise of, the promise of God's presence giving power to the pilgrim, we think about the strength. The strength that God's presence gives the supernatural strength of the indwelling Holy Spirit in the lives of His people. I don't want to oversimplify our sin or our struggle with sin, but I think too easily we, Christian, we simply forget who we are. We forget who we are and what we've been given. You are not an orphan. You are the child of God. Set apart the temple of the living God. And that same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, that same power is yours to obey and to walk in holiness and to be different than the world around you. We have the power to change. And that's how we change. We're no longer enslaved to the demands of our sinful nature. Really, the Christian life would be so much easier if we could just keep these gospel promises ever before us. And that's why in some ways I feel like I'm being redundant in speaking them to you and setting you up for what is to come. Because it's flowing out of these promises, Paul says here in 2 Corinthians, that here is the reason, here is the power to be different. It's the Gospel promises that are the bedrock of our obedience. Let me undergird you with some more. Romans 6.4 says, We were buried with Him, that is Jesus, by baptism into His death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness 
of life. It's a gospel promise. It's a redemptive truth for you today. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me in the life I live in the body. I live in f- by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. A Gospel promise for you. 2 Corinthians 5.14 and 15, For the love of Christ controls us Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. He died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for Him who for their sake died and was raised. If you are here this morning, and you're struggling with with a sin, with an issue, and, and, and you are frustrated because it's been a long struggle. It's been a long journey and you're ready to throw your hands up in the air and say, I am powerless. I can't change. It can't be done. This is just who I am. I'm here to tell you that that's that's a lie. The Gospel says that you can change. God's Word says that you can change because you are the temple of the living God. You have the power. You have the motivation to be different. See, God's presence not only reveals, it gives strength. And real practically, thinking through this, we can think about this in a couple different ways. We can think about this Individually, God's presence in our lives individually as we apprehend this promise. As we become children of God. As the Spirit of God dwells in us. There is a supernatural perspective that we are given. And so when we come to that struggle, when we come to that temptation, we ask the question, who am I? Well, I am the dwelling place of God. That's who I am. I am the child of God. That's who I am. I'm a child of light. That's who I am. And therefore, this this darkness, this filth, this impatience, whatever it may be, doesn't belong here. It doesn't belong in my heart. It doesn't belong in my life. It doesn't belong in my house. And so, Lord, help me to change. Spirit, cast it out. I know you can show it. I know you can do it. You see, that's the promise. That's the Gospel promise. Ministering to us in our individual lives. The promise of God's presence is power to obey. His power to be a pilgrim. But it's also a promise for us corporately. Remember, Paul wrote this letter not to an individual. He's not speaking to one individual Christian. He's speaking to the church. And he says to the church that you, church of Jesus Christ, you corporately have the presence of the living God. And you know what that reminds us of this morning as we embark, as we continue to think through and wrestle with change in our lives and growing in holiness? It reminds us that change, that any kind of change that we make personally is a community project. 
It's a project of this community. The Lord is with us. The Lord is using us in contrasting ways. Sometimes the Lord uses us as we rub up against each other in the wrong way because conflict arises and it gives an opportunity for growth. And sometimes the Lord uses us not with conflict between each other, two sinners redeemed by Christ, but sometimes the Lord uses us as we speak the truth in love to one another, as we know and are known by each other in our midst. And as we become the hands and the feet and the words of Christ in the lives of each other. And so in a sense, what I want to say to you this morning as we focus on the presence of God is that the presence of God is here in the church. And not just here Sunday morning as we gather in His name, yes, as we worship Him, but The presence of God is here in the church as we are a community, as we live life together. And that communicates different things to many of you. Some of you, it just bolsters your commitment to each other and to know and to be known by each other. But some of you have been content to just remain on the outskirts, to keep your lives hidden, Lest, lest the light really reveal who you are. Lest our brokenness really show itself. Listen, I'm your pastor. I know a lot of you. There's a lot of brokenness in this room. But I know that, that some of that brokenness is not known by each other. And if we're going to change, we've got to recognize that God is here in this place and that God is here in this community and that God is using us. And so what is this an encouragement to do? It's an encouragement to know and to be known. To open up your lives. To get into each other's lives. Not like nosy neighbors but like loving brothers and sisters who share one body, who share one presence of God, who minister as the hands and the feet of Christ to each other. Change is a community project. And so these relationships in this room are gold to us. They are integral in producing the holiness that God desires for us individually, for us as families, for us as a church. The promise of God's presence in each of us individually, redeemed by Christ and dwelt with His Spirit, and in us corporately as the body of Christ, gives us power to live as pilgrims. See, as we let the reality of these gospel promises sink in, as we really meditate on this, this is where change begins. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank You for Your Word this morning. I thank You for this great reminder of who we are in Christ and our union with Him and the presence of Your Spirit in our lives.
Father, as I prayed before, in those times of feeling alone, in those times of feeling powerless, would you bring to mind these promises that are for us, that are for our holiness, that are for your glory as we become the people that you want us to be before a watching world. O Holy Spirit, impress these things upon us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.